Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is the founder of The Collective Engine, Mr. Tony Wiley. Thank you for joining me. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's an honor, man. Like I like I told you before we were recording, I've been following your page for a long time. This is one of my bucket list podcasts, so I'm actually honored to do it. Let's go, man. The right time for everything. And first of all, congratulations. Before we do anything, let me congratulate you on the on the launch of the collective engine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, this has really been a 15-year journey. Uh, I, I went to business school from Rice University at Rice in Houston, Texas. In fact, the Houston Texans paid for me to go to school. They supported me, but the owner of the team, Bob McNair, uh, supported me both morally and financially. And when I graduated, I knew at some point I was gonna have my own business. That's what business school does. It gets you ready to have your own business. And this has been a 15 year journey. That's one reason why I came to Washington from Houston was to make the connections and eventually do what I'm doing right now. Wow, you say 50, so 15, a 15 year journey. So my question is why so long? You know what, it has to be the right timing. Um, I was working in the front office executive in the NFL. Um, I got married in 05, my son was born in 07. So I had a you know newborn, then my daughter came in 2009. My wife was you know finishing up residency. So it would have been really, really risky to step away from a front office, solid front office job to start my own business. And you know, you have to do things at the right time. So I wasn't really ready to to, to step away and take that risk until until last summer. Now, how'd you know this was the right time? You know what? It was a feeling, feeling I had. Uh, I spent, you know, 30 years in the NFL. Then I spent three years in Special Olympics. And then I was thinking about, you know, looking. It's funny because the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit that really sparked the whole NIL thing. I was in L.A. when it happened. I was in L.A. working with the Rams when UCLA won the championship. And Ed O'Bannon, you know, looking around, seeing his name and image and likeness on things, and he wasn't getting any anything from it. So he filed that lawsuit. That was that was in 1994. Mm-hmm. 2021 is when the Supreme Court made a ruling on it. And the NCAA, I think, spent something like $300 million fighting this thing. So I played, I mean, I, I stayed tuned to what was going on. And after that decision, I was like, man, this is going to totally change the whole landscape of college, college athletics. So I decided, you know what, this is a way for me to get back into sports and utilize all the experience that I achieved in my career to help some young athletes. Now, before we go any further, let's, let, explain to people exactly what NRL is, because I'm not sure everybody knows what it is. Sure. Basically, NIL is an acronym. It stands for name, image, and likeness. And what it does is it, it allows athletes, high school and college, to uh, create partnerships and really get paid for their name, image, and likeness. For many, many years, for decades, you know, uh, athletes were, were playing in college and high school and wouldn't get any type of benefits like endorsements or any type of partnerships, and, um, or at least legally. And now everything's above board and they can, they can get paid. They can get paid. 
So people really fought for, for this or, you know, really felt that it was time. And, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they'd see all the salaries that guys make when they're professionals, but think about all the people that made money off of them while they were in high school or while they were in college. Mm. Did you actually take part in, did you play sports in college? <laughs> I call myself the Black Rudy, meaning I was five, <laughs> I was five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, and, <laughs> and no speck of athletic talent. But I spent, it's funny because my friends, they, they think it's so ironic that, um, that I was able to spend so, such a long time in the front office. And I have two, two Super Bowl rings, a, a, a winning one and a losing one. One from the Cowboys in 93 and the 99 Titans. So I have two rings. Uh, my, my kids call it a family heirloom. I would say, because we know when you win a Super Bowl, every, the whole organization gets one, every, every employee. So I was able to get one and not, and not tackle anyone and not, and not catch any passes. But I did spend a lot of time around sports. When I was in college, I worked in the sports information office at Texas Southern University. Uh, you might know one of my classmates. His name was Michael Strahan. So he was the first, he was the first of 18 Hall of Famers so far that I worked with. And when Andre Johnson and Adrian Peterson, London Fletcher, Mike Shanahan, I might end up with about 25 and it's all said and done. But right now I have 18. And I was really, really blessed to be selected by Isaac Bruce to present him at the Hall of Fame. Oh wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So let, let's stay there just for one second because. I mean, the Hall of Fame is a gigantic honor. I mean, this is where the absolute best of the best go. So for him to choose you, what was the feeling you had? Because this is his moment. This is his enshrinement. So I was, I was, I was beyond honored. I was beyond honored. It just showed him and Jackie Slater, um, RG3, there's a couple of people. There's a handful of players that I worked with in my career <clears throat> that I'm really, really, really close with. And Isaac's one of them. And for him to make that type of, you know, honor for me, words can, words can really, I was speechless. And I'm, that's very rare. I'm very speech, I was speechless, but yet honored at the same time. <laughs> and I really felt like I was going in with him. I was in a, I was with the parade, I was in a parade with him, and we're there behind the scenes. Of the gold jacket, I mean everything it was me and his it was me and his brother, and so for that to happen, man, it's just something, just just to show you how rare it was. I'm only the second ever PR person, PR executive, to be asked to to present someone. So it's only two, and they've been doing this a long time. Wow. So let's go like to the early your early stages, your early beginning. What was what, what what inspired your love for sports? How did your love for sports develop? Good question. Um, my two cousins, you know, my cousins Michael and Lisa Romaine, they're my were one year apart. And I think, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, that's where I'm from. I grew up, I grew up born in Brooklyn, grew up in Houston. But when I was living in Brooklyn as a youngster, they they taught me sports. They taught me, I remember the first thing they taught me was baseball. And we we, we would play, I remember we were playing baseball with a little with a little uh, cap from a, from a starch, you know. I sound like one of these Dominican kids. We play, we were playing inside the house with with a little cap from the from the from the from the can from the starch can, and using that as a ball. And I just remember them. Yeah, man, I know. And I just remember uh, having so much fun and just really, and then falling in love with the Yankees. You know, uh, back with Reggie Jackson. I saw that documentary, 
the other day and it really brought back memories and the team won the 1977 Yankees. I just fell in love with, with baseball. And it's, it's really ironic that I spent all these years in football, but baseball is my number, my number one sport. And I just, I worked, got a chance to work with the Astros for two seasons, but baseball is just so long and so many games. So I decided, you know what, let me work in football where you only have one game a week. So that, that's how that happened. So I just, I just love sports, man. I, they called me, I was like Jimmy the Greek, man. I, I, I would make predictions. I wasn't gambling, but I would make predictions on the games and, high, and then school. And I'm, you know, all my classmates would, would follow what I was saying. And, and I always brought my sports page with me, even up to college. I, I hung out in my fraternity and then hanging out the tree with the, with, with the uh, sports page. And I remember when I decided this is what I wanted to do, I, I read an article that said you can turn your love for sports and make it a career. And mm -hmm. that right there was really, you know, really changed my whole life. That and, and, and talking to Bob Watson. Bob Watson was the only general manager in all the sports. And I picked him to, to someone I wanted to be like. And you know what, James? I called him. I just happened to call his office. And in the middle of spring training, he called me back. And not, wow. only, not only did he call me back, he spent three hours on the phone with me explaining the whole front office structure. I just knew what I saw. I just knew the coaches and players, but he ended up just explaining everything. And the last thing he said to me was, if you really wanna do this, you can do this. So people could always say, you can't be what you don't see. But when you hear someone that you wanna be like, and they tell you, they encourage you to do something, man, that's all I needed to hear. And that, that, that ignited a fire in my belly that still hasn't been extinguished. And because he took his time to really uh, take his time to call me and, and direct and mentor me, that's why I made a promise that anyone that ever called me, I would call them back. Any student that needed advice, I always called them back and to the point where I had at least helped about at least 300 people, young folks to help get their foot in the door. And that's something I'm very proud of. Now, I want to stay with this because if I'm, Bob Watson was the GM of the Yankees, correct? He was at one point, but at that point, he was the Astros. He was with the Astros. Oh, okay, okay. So he was with the Yankees at one point, right? No, he wasn't. He Not only he was there, he, he won a World Series. He's the first black general manager to win a World that, Series. Okay, that's exactly. Because I was like, okay, Bob. He was with, he was with them in 96. He was with them with uh, Derek Jeter. Yeah, okay, right, right. Because I, I, I know who he is. That's why. I was like, okay, Bob Watson. And then when you said the, the Astros. Yeah. He was with the Astros before the Yankees. Oh, wow. That's it. Wow, that's amazing. So he took, he actually took the time during spring training to call you back. Oh, he took the time. I mean, not only that, I was able to keep up with him. I remember when I graduated from, from Rice, I think I graduated in May. That November... I got a call from the Texas Rangers to uh, to interview to be the president. Wow! And, and I remember I spoke to him, and he I called him, and he ended up putting a call into the owner on my behalf. So he he was really a mentor to him up until up until he passed away. He's no longer with us, but he was the main person that influenced me in, in my career. Well, let me ask you this, because I wasn't expecting the conversation to go this direction, but I think it's pretty interesting. We've noticed the dramatic decline for African-Americans in baseball. You grew up loving baseball. 
your son plays baseball. <laughs> How do you feel about this now? Because I mean, b- baseball like was America's pastime, and now it's. I mean, well, you know what? Um, there's something being done right now, and uh, I have, I have, I have friends that work at MLB, and you know, Tony Regis is who's a great man, and Dell Matthews. Dell Matthews is a Texas Southern guy, and. He, they put together um, the MLB breakthrough, MLB development series rather. And what they do is it encourages to have these RBI academies, to have these academies all over in, in, in urban areas. And they basically, they're changing the in needle. They, they have the Hank Aaron Invitational, the breakthrough series, they have all the dream series. They have programs that encourage uh, African-American athletes to play. And, and since, it, since it's been, an, incepted, I think something like 97, 97% of the participants have either uh, played in college or uh, got drafted. And last year, if you pay attention to the draft, I think the first five picks were African-American. Wow. Now that, and that, that. Not only they're African-American, but they participated in those series in the, the programs that I was telling you about. I'm excited. I'm excited. My son participated. My son been in Hank Aaron, and he does the breakthrough series. So, and it's it's amazing to go down there and spend a week and get 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 uh, coached by former major leaguers, and you're there with a whole bunch of other African American kids from all over the nation. Because a lot of times they're 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 all they're the only African American kid on the team. So then you have a whole team of African Americans, and everybody is skilled, and everyone's you know competitive. It's it's life changing. Hmm. We always hear about the financial part of baseball. Um, we hear that well, oh. baseball is expensive to play. Do you do you think that's a real thing? Do I? Yes, <laughs> I, I live it. I live it when it when it's time to buy a bat and the and the shoes and the glove. But I, but you know it's it's an investment. But um, one thing I've noticed, and you know, again, I worked many years. In the NFL, we've had if you if I would do a little polls from all the teams that I was with, and a lot of a lot of the NFL players at one point were pretty good baseball players. I remember uh, D'Angelo Hall told me I think his travel team had four or five future major leaguers on there, like the Upton brothers and David Wright and Ryan Zimmerman, all those guys from the Chesapeake Hampton Roads area were all on one team. Can you imagine that? And I remember one time um, we had Deshaun Jackson when I was with the Redskins. And I remember after one practice, after seeing him catch all these deep balls, I said, I asked him, I said, man, why? How are you able to track the ball so well? He said, that's from playing center field in high school. I was a center fielder. So a lot of these sports, you know, transfer, the skills transfer are transferable. But, you know, you could be an athlete and play baseball. Look Look at Kyler Murray. I mean, the hardest thing in sports to do is hit is to hit a baseball. Oh my God! <laughs> Michael Michael Jordan showed us that, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Man, look, I th- look. I think the only thing we need to know is you will celebrate it when you when you get a hit thirty percent of the time. Exactly. It teaches you. It teaches you how to respond to failure. It teaches. That's a good life lesson. But, but, you know, I was able, huh, I used to say, James, I never worked a day in my life because 
I love what I did. I loved what I did. I love, I love sports. I love being around it. And now I love helping young folks. I mean, I'm, I'm shaping these athletes. We, we not only get endorsements for them, but we, we do financial literacy. We do uh, social responsibility. And we also help them with character and leadership development. I'm glad you said that because that was, I wanted to transition back to the collective engine. Let's start with the financial literacy because out of everything I noticed on the site, that was, that was what stood out to me. And the reason it stood out to me is because athletes get money, they accumulate money, but unfortunately they don't necessarily have the right people in their corner to help them manage the money. So I wanted you to talk more about your program and how you help with that. Well, <clears throat> I've been able to partner with a, a person I've known for all over 25 years who was at Edward Jones named Malcolm Briggs. And he um, he not only will, will, will teach him what to do, I mean, I'm, I'm one of his clients as well. So I, not only do we preach it, but I also follow what he does. But um, He's all about him. He's not, he, don't get me wrong. He's not taking out accounts. He's not giving them, you know, he doesn't have access to anything. All he's doing is one word, educating. He lets them know and lets them know, hey, this is what you do. If you put this aside, by the time you're 30, you, you don't have to work if you don't want to. You can, you, if it's snowing outside, you can go, you know, you can lay in bed all day. You're still making money. So it's about really showing a big picture, long range goals, and just letting these young people know that, you know, you don't have to just, you know, there, there are things called taxes. There's things that you can put aside and, you know, take care of yourself when you get older. You, I mean, you, money, money, money don't come with instructions. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, your clients you deal with, most of them are younger. Um, and we know how money is. Like money is something that is very precious to all of us. So how do you how do you build that rapport? How do you establish that trust with your clients? Good question. Well, I don't know if you notice on the homepage, uh, the first thing I, we, you see is, is trust is everything. You know, that that's on the homepage. And that's what it's all about. It's all about, you know, from the people that trust me, the parents that trust me to help guide their, their, young, their young people, their, their children. I mean, it's, you got to have trust. And how do you do that is by, you know, being genuine, being transparent. And um, through time, and, and the great thing is we have a lot of young clients, you know, clients are either freshmen, sophomores, and so they, they're going to get in here on the ground level. And as we grow, they're going to grow. And, you know, we're, we're, looking, we're looking at five years from now, 10 years from now to see, hey, these, these are some young people that we help guide and help develop. You talk about that character and leadership development. That's one of the that's one of the main areas your company focuses on. Now, when I read it, because I went to the website, when I read it, one of the reasons I was I was really glad to see that you do this is because the reality is most athletes don't make it to the professional level. But what you what your company does is they actually stress um, leadership, character, because sports is a lot of athletes actually find themselves in leadership roles. So I wanted you to talk more about that as well. Absolutely. We remind folks, you know, Charles Barkley had that commercial, I'm not a role model. Well, yes, they are. They really are. From the high school athletes, the kids in middle school look up to them, the college athletes, 
high school kids look up to him. And then of course, professionally, everybody's looking up to him. So we kind of remind them about leadership, how they're leaders and how, you know, you have to really look at the consequences for every decision that you make. And we also have people that, that um, really focus on leadership to get in front of them. And so they can, you know, just like with the financial literacy person, we got people from our leadership team that will help them. In fact, during the summer, we're going to have like a client a client weekend where we bring all the clients together and we'll, we'll um, have a leadership seminar. We'll have a media training seminar, financial literacy seminar, and then uh, we'll have some fun. So that, those types of things that what I'm happy that our agency provides because not everybody does it. Yeah. You also touched on social responsibility. We That's- have... We have, we have a partnership that we're creating where we'll also have the, the, the athletes give back to their high schools as well as you know their community. All of our, all of our clients are required to have a camp and you hope most likely at their high school or have a camp in their hometown where um, they could give back. And we're teaching these young people at a very young age, hey, you, you're, you're stewards. You're stewards for your community. So not only... Do you look out for yourself? Are you going to look after your, your fellow uh, people in the, your community? I was very, very proud. We have Dennis, Dennis Collin. Dennis Collin, that people might not know his name, but they know his face. He's the young man that had the Popeyes meme. <laughs> yeah, I know he's talking about. I know he's talking about. He's a phenomenal young man. He's, a, he's now uh, offensive lineman at, at Lake Erie uh, College in Ohio. But he's by far, by far the most famous Division II athlete probably ever, because we we he's been on the Tamron Hall show. He's done he's done podcasts every week. He's doing something. But one thing about him, he wanted to use that Popeyes platform to help feed the home the hungry in his hometown wow. of Orange, New Jersey. And he's only eighteen years old. So for a young man to think, though, those are the types of clients that we want to have at the engine. People that are not only looking out for themselves, but looking out for others. Wow. Do you find yourself being inspired by your clients? You know what? Yes. For someone like that, to I mean, that was unsolicited. That was very inspiring. I told them I was so proud of them for that. Yes, because they uh, some of them, some of them seems like James. They've been here before. Some of them are like old souls. I mean, when you when you when you think about where they are and what they and how they want to use their platform, I'm very very inspired and I'm very proud of them. What year did you What year did you launch? Uh, it was last year, correct? Correct. Yes. Yep. What would you say? That, what would you say was your biggest the biggest challenge you faced launching the um, the collective engine? Probably assembling a team. I mean, I can't do this on my own. I have to get people that want to be involved, people that believe in me, people that believe in the brand, people that believe in the mission, people that believe in the in the in the purpose. And that's not easy, an easy thing to do. And you know, you have to really vet people and vet you know, you're only as good as your as your team. You know, you're strong as the weakest link. 
And so that was that was one of the challenges. And also, you know, putting together a plan. This is this, you can't just turn on a light switch and build and start a company. You have to truly, truly, you know, do your due diligence and, and put together a business plan. Up to this date, what would you what would you say the most exciting thing has been about the brand? Looking at the faces of the families and the, and the athletes when they, you know, I'm a high energy person. And when they see how energized I am and how excited we are and they get excited, seeing the smiles like, wow, this is, this is, this is a cool opportunity. And that, that's really inspiring. Seeing the staff, you know, we have meetings on Mondays and seeing how excited they are. You know, we have a saying, I always have a saying, hey, the engine is cranking. Let's crank up the engine. <laughs> the engine. When we when we sign folks, we uh, send them a welcome letter. It says, "Welcome to the engine. Welcome to the engine. We're family. We're family." You know, you you know, you talk about family a lot, and this is business, but you know, it's, it's family as well. How important is it for you that everyone views you as such, like not just a person to work with, but family? Well. I say it will go down to one word, care. When you show people that you care, that's what family's all about. And I put together two words too, respect and value. Everyone I'll try to do is respect and value everyone's input, value everyone's opinion. That's why that's why we, the meaning of the, the, or the company is collective because we're going we're gonna to work together and engine because we're going to work hard. Those are the meaning, that's the meaning behind the company. But also, being a CEO, you know, you set the you set the uh, tone, you set the uh, policies, and even for the staff, man, you know, we have a rule: there's no meetings before nine o'clock. There's no meetings before nine o'clock, and no emails after six, unless it's really important. But we do that, man, because I want everyone to have a work-life balance. Other places I work, man, it's twenty-four-seven. It's, it's nonstop. But, I, but life is too short. You got to sometimes stop and smell the roses and you got to sometimes, you know, have a good balance. And that's something that we're going to do at, at, our, at the engine. Wow. That, let me tell you why that's fascinating to me. Because, you know, most people, when they start something that's it's new, they want, they want to invest it all. They want to invest all their time. They want to invest all their energy. And they want everyone around them to do the same. So how did you actually not only put in your mind to do to have this balance, but actually apply it? Good question. It was very, it's very tough because you know I'm a workaholic. I'm used to, I think early on I was doing stuff from from, from working seriously 14 hour days, not eating, not you know, just working through things and not not doing it on purpose, just the fact that man, I was so busy. And uh, it took a toll on my health. And I was like, you know what, man? I got to make some changes. And now, you know, I kind of watch what I eat. I kind of try to get sleep. I try to get rest. And, you know, it kind of puts things in perspective, man. You know, you can't, you really can't work yourself to death. You got to really, you got to really prioritize things. And, you know, we're not curing cancer. We're, 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 We're doing things and we can do things doing a regular nine to five time frame so that's that's why i had to set the tone and let people follow 
you've you've been a sports fan since you was a kid. You said you love sports. So I want you to communicate. How does that help you with this business? Team. I'm like the, being a the CEO, I'm the quarterback, but you got to have a team. You know, you have to work as a team. You have to value everyone's input. You have to recognize everyone's role and um, people let people stay in their lanes and really get things done. You work together towards a common goal. And that, that was, that's what happened every week, every 16, 17 weeks during the NFL. Everyone's working, you know, everyone's judged by wins and losses. And it was really good after wins. You feel well or good on Mondays. And after losses, you're sick. But, but what I'll translate here is the, is the team or team attitude and communication. And really just uh, it's common sense. Respect, respect people, uh, value folks, and, and communicate. And put the ego aside. How long did it take you to assemble your thing? Six months. Wow. Would you say that's long or, or, or short? I think that's pretty long. I think it's probably pretty short too. I mean, it's we're still a work in progress, but everyone's excited. Everyone, the fact that we're startup, the fact that there's trust, the fact that you know people understand what we're trying to do. Um, you know, time will tell, but I think we're twice so far, we're doing pretty well. When you got a chance to interview, you know, potential team members uh, for the, the collective engine, what would you say was the main characteristic you was looking for? Work ethic, passion, passion. You can, um, you can't teach, you can't teach enthusiasm and passion for something. You either have it or you don't. And everything else we can teach. You know, we got some young folks. They don't, they don't know NIL from LIN, from L-I-N but, <laughs> but they do know they're ready to work. And they do know they have pride. And they do know they want to be a part of something. And, you know, people people are stepping up. And I'm, I'm really proud that I challenge folks. And they're, and they're, and they're, they're coming through. They're coming through. This is... This is all, this is a relationship business. When you try to do partnerships, it's about relationships. Yeah. And, and people are trusting, people are trusting what, what I've done in my career, what I, the Rolodex that I have, and they trust our team. I mean, everything from, from the, the things that we do on our website to, you know, the graphics and our social media, it makes a statement and people, people are believing in what we're doing right now. You have, you, what you're doing now is amazing is huge so it took a lot of time and it took a lot of thought and it took a lot of effort during this planning process did you ever experience having any fear or doubt oh definitely this is uncharted this is uncharted waters uh this is something i'm used to you know working for someone and you know getting a paycheck every two weeks now i eat what i kill Mm. So, you know, you have to step out on faith and, and um, yeah, of course. But you know what, though? The fear turns into motivation. Because I have, I have people depending on me. I have a family depending on me. I have a staff that's depending on what we're doing. So that, that motivates you to succeed. You can't fail. Too many people are depending on you. Was there a specific moment or conversation that you had that, put you over the top. They're like, you know what? I really can do this. I know I could do this. 
I have to say my wife. Um, she's been the biggest cheerleader. She told me early on, you know, this is, you know, to create, try to create a legacy for your kids. And I remember um, when I was in business school, the kids were like toddlers. And I remember um, I was trying to figure out what type of business to do. And I remember she pointed to both of them and said, you know, one of these two is a PR person. It's in their blood, it's in their DNA. It's actually my daughter. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she was saying, you know, create something that, you know, PR that could, um, that can be a legacy for them. So, you know, someday maybe my daughter will take this over. I'm glad you mentioned your wife because, you know, unfortunately in this day and age, you know, we have marriages, we had divorce, and we have people that talk like, like there's this narrative that men don't need women and women don't need men. But clearly you stated how important your wife was to you. So I want you to talk more about having that that supportive wife, that wife that helps you get over it, you know, helps you get over the hump. Oh man. She was, uh, oh boy, I'm going to try not to get emotional, but just even moving here to Washington, James, um, I remember when, when that possibility was, 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 was approaching and I was like, you know, we could be moving into the Washington area. And I remember she was like, well, what about me? You know, she just started a practice and she's like, what about our support system? You know, my parents, you know, what about our friends, you know, in Houston? And she goes, you want to move cross town, I mean, cross country, where we don't know anybody. And she goes, I want to be a single, I'll be like a single mom. Mm. And, and I remember all the times when I moved before all the different teams I work with, I wasn't married then. I didn't, I didn't have a family then. I got, I didn't get married till I was 37. And I didn't have my son till I was 40. So all those other moves I made was just me. This was the first time I actually moving a family and, and my wife. And it was not only my kids were very young. My kid, my son was three, my daughter was 18 months. So I I, 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 I slept, I kept I kept some sleepless nights just thinking about this and wondering, am I doing the right thing? Well, maybe three to four days later, my wife just called me in the middle of the day. And she said, I know you don't think I'm on board here, but you know, I'm analytical. And she said, if Michelle Obama can set aside her law practice to follow her husband to the White House, I can set aside my medical practice to follow my husband to Washington. I'm on, I'm on board. Damn. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> wow, that is deep. <laughs> what what was it? What was you? What did you feel when she said that? Oh, are you kidding me? It's, it's hard. It, it, that was over, geez, twelve years ago, and I'm still, I still get goosebumps just thinking about it, man. I mean, it makes you feel invincible. And I'm sure you had to feel some sort of relief as well, correct? I was, I was. I was, but I mean, she, she's been the ultimate supporter. I mean, ultimate, ultimate. And you talk about, you know, with marriage and stuff, you got to have people that's going to, you know, be, be a team, be, be your, be your biggest supporter and be on your team. I want to close out with this. 
what excites you the most about the collective engine moving forward? Helping, helping athletes, helping families, developing young leaders, because these people, these young people, these clients, they're going to make their mark in their world. Off the field, we already know what they're going to do on, but off the field, they got great minds, they got great families, they got, they, they're focused, they're just dynamic young people, and I'm just happy to be a part of it to help them. I really want to take this time to thank you for doing this. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Um, and now I see why I was so excited to get this podcast. <laughs> um, you are very passionate, um, informative, and I'm and, and I'm really excited to see the company moving forward. I've been following you on Instagram, and I'm going to continue to follow you even closer because I know you're going to do some great things, and I'm excited for you, your family, and your clients as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we end, please tell the people how they can follow you, how they can read, how they can get with the web, like research the website and everything. Absolutely. Go to collective-engine.com. All our social media links on the bottom of the page from, from YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Everything's on there. Again, collective-engine.com. Go on there. There's a question. There's a part if you want NIL, if you're an athlete looking for NILs, if you're if you're uh, someone that needs employment, internships, whatever, you can you can you can get on there, and we'll get back with you. There's a way to reach us, and we'll and uh, you can follow us, and we you know come along, get on the engine. It's cranking. <laughs> Again, I want to congratulate you on the success of, of the collective engine. Again, I know great things ahead and I'm looking forward to seeing you progress as time continues to move forward. Thank you, James. And I, ain't gonna, I won't forget you because that's the name of my son. Definitely. <laughs> and I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lant. My Facebook is also conversations with Lant. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.